shining a light on Illinois state government. Good afternoon. This is Full Disclosure with your host, Trent Nelson. And we are here, as we always are, with our wonderful friend from the Better Government Association. He is the CEO and president of that organization. His name is David Greising. How are you today, sir? Good, Trent. Hope you're well, too. Uh, thank you so much. You know, it was absolutely treacherous in terms of the weather. You know up where you are, it's the same type of thing. We hope that you and all of yours, as well as the Better Government Association, we hope they're all safe as well. And we're doing well, but we have to jump into a topic. There are so many things, obviously, with the new legislative session and so much to get into. Sir, this seems to be a weekly topic, but let's get onto it. What can you tell us about immigration? and the migrant issues that continue to stem from some of our other states. Well, the latest news that's uh, worth noting on a statewide level is the continuing lack of clear communication and cooperation, or at least alignment, between Governor J.B. Pritzker and Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson. The latest is that Brandon Johnson now has announced that the city just will not have the resources to build permanent tents shelters, semi-permanent construction anyhow, for people who are coming in, asylum seekers, seeking safe housing during this cold winter time period. And Governor Pritzker just yesterday expressed, I think it's fair to say, some dismay about that, saying he is deeply concerned with Mayor Brandon Johnson's recent plan, you know, saying the city is really just not communicating with the state about, about their plans. Let's not forget The state has set aside, Governor Pritzker has set aside $160 million to help with uh, facilitating the resettlement of people who have been bussed up here or in some cases flown up here by Governor Greg Abbott of Texas. And uh, some of them are arriving with, you know, in tennis shoes and shorts and not in any way prepared for this kind of weather and temporary housing, which is working in some respects, but is not adequate to the pressure that is on the city right now needs to be addressed. And and there seems to be some consternation on the part of Governor Pritzker that Mayor Johnson is in a way throwing up his hands and saying, we don't think we really have a solution for these people in in the near term. Absolutely. It is frustrating stuff. We know that people make society better and getting more people functioning within various societies helps those produce more, whether it be resources, money, whatever the case is. And so it is always troubling when we note that perhaps two parts of a same government or similar government are not functioning as they should. Uh, So what can you tell us about Speaker Chris Welsh is looking to do concerning this? Well, here is an example of somebody at the state level at least trying to get a handle on this. And that's not to say that Governor Pritzker also has not done so. I think Governor Pritzker is doing what he can, but his his role is somewhat limited. He tried to delegate a lot of this to the city of Chicago. But Speaker Chris Welch is pulling together a new arrivals working group. He's asked Representative Jennifer Gong Gershowitz of Glenview to lead the panel. It'll have nine House Democrats. There's some criticism, of course, uh, understandably, that this group would not include some Republicans, and Republicans have their own ideas about what to do with the immigrant problem. But nevertheless, we're seeing the legislature now stand up and say, we have a hand, we have a role to play 
here. It's belated, I must say. This problem has been with since August of 2022. Wow. Uh, but it's good to see that Speaker Welch now is at least getting some people together and asking them to think holistically about this. 38,000 migrants have arrived in Chicago over the past 18 months. This is a substantial number of people. And of course, this is happening as part of Governor Abbott of Texas' effort to more or less punish the city of Chicago for being a sanctuary city. And some cities across the state have been asked to absorb some of the overflow from Chicago. And so to the extent that that is happening, besides the fact that the legislature is now going to step up in a new way, cities across the state are have a stake in how this all plays out as well. Absolutely. And Earlier in our discussion, you mentioned Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson and, of course, uh, suspending efforts to develop uh, semi-permanent shelters for asylum seekers. What is the thinking that you've been able to ascertain behind ideas like this from an individual who ran, correct me if I'm incorrect, sir, on fairly progressive topics and ideas, no? Well, yes, he, of course, did run as a progressive and, and has tried to govern the city as a progressive and in some respects is doing so. On the other hand, we saw a bitter shortcoming and failure for him, frankly, of a large semi-permanent facility that he intended to build using a significant portion of that $160 million we just talked about to house migrants coming in. And it turned out that the site that was selected had all kinds of industrial toxic waste left behind, mercury, arsenic, and other heavy metals because the site previously was a smelter. And Brandon Johnson at first ignored that finding by consultants the city had hired and, in fact, went public with it only after he was required to share it with the governor. And ultimately, after sticking to that plan for well longer than may have been prudent, he ultimately needed to abandon it. And he seems to have no comprehensive fallback plan. He has reached out to the Catholic Archdiocese of Chicago, which is making some facilities available, and he has found some other far smaller places to provide temporary shelter, but nothing on the scale of what previously was planned. And by the announcement he's made in the last few days, it's evident that there will not be something on the same scale at any time in the foreseeable future. Now, of course, we spoke concerning the inhospitable territory that had been outlined, perhaps chosen by the mayor, uh, Governor Pritzker, uh, said that that was going to be a no-go. Uh, yet, to not have any fallback plan, uh, just because a semi-permanent shelter wouldn't work on land that has been corrupted, doesn't mean that it might not work on land that has not been. But that is a chat for another time, I suspect. We have many more topics to get to, and before we take our first commercial break, we're going to get to... One more. The Illinois Supreme Court has chosen to uphold 2019 state law consolidating more than 600 police and fire pension funds across the state into just two, one for police and one for fire. There has been a bit of hubbub concerning uh, this from, if I'm correct, Chicago area police or fire people. What can you tell us about how this all cooked up and and what the situation circumstances now well right this is a very important development in the effort to get 
pension problems under control statewide. And in 2019, the legislature passed a law that Governor Pritzker supported, which was to consolidate some 650 retirement funds for municipal public safety workers across the state into two, one for firefighters and another for police officers. And as anybody who's followed any pension issue in Illinois knows, the Constitution of Illinois protects pension benefits as a contractual obligation, the benefits of which cannot be diminished or impaired. And the lawsuit brought by some retirees individually because there were public safety groups that did support this effort. The individuals sued to say that this was per se a diminishment because they relied on the good services of whomever it was who was managing their municipal firefighters fund, let's say, and felt that this violated the constitutional uh, provision against diminish or impair. And the Illinois Supreme Court now has found that that was not a persuasive argument that the constitutional protections were not being violated. And let's not forget, the law was supported, for example, by the Illinois Fraternal Order of Police, by the Associated Firefighters of Illinois, and by the Illinois Municipal League. These are three leading voices looking out for the interests of people like the firefighters across the state. And so the rule of law in this state now will be that, in fact, this consolidation is moving forward. A lot of money is going to be saved, and presumably the investment policies of these big two pension funds will benefit people more than the pretty shoddy records that many local municipalities have had because they've had fund managers who, in some instances, charged high fees, didn't have very good investment returns, et cetera, et cetera. And that does have an effect on the security of pension benefits when those assets are not well managed. Really fascinating stuff. Thank you for that wonderfully concise and expressive explanation. It's one of those situations where, uh, of course, if more individuals have uh, a say in what can uh, go on in terms of fund managers, uh, there is a greater opportunity for something uh, unfortunate to occur. It seems as though this is a streamlined process, which uh, will hopefully benefit the police and fire individuals who have worked hard and and paid their salaries into the pension fund over the course of a lifetime. Now, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to be right back here on Full Disclosure with the Better Government Association. This is, of course, your host, Trent Nelson, and we are here with President and CEO David Greising. We'll catch you in just a second. Shining a light on Illinois state government. This is Full Disclosure with the Better Government Association. This is your host, Trent Nelson. And of course, we are here with David Greising, the president and CEO of that organization. We have gone through just a wonderful gambit of topics, whether it be the immigration, migrant issues and concerns that Illinois, as well as, of course, Chicago faces, thanks to the governor of Texas and his plans and administration. We also had a discussion concerning Speaker Chris Welsh, the New Arrivals Working Group, and a bit about Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson. We then went to the Illinois Supreme Court and we spoke a bit about police and fire pension funds. Absolutely fantastic conversation there. But now we're turning 
to three more topics that are pretty important, uh, whether it be for Chicago, whether it be for our whole state. Of course, those things that occur across our state, uh, even when they occur in specific areas, they affect us all in some manner. What can you, sir, tell our listeners about Bally's and their planned 500-room hotel tower. It's big money, but it seems as though they're going to have to have an innovation as well. (laughs) Yeah, um, this is sort of an amazing story that Bally's has been talking about building a casino in Chicago for quite some time and was selected by the city of Chicago uh, last year in what has proved to be a quite controversial process. Uh, to build a $1.7 billion uh, gaming and um, hotel and entertainment complex on the Chicago River, a 30-acre site um, just uh, uh, north of the river, north and east of where the Chicago River bends. Um, And it turns out that city water pipes are below the location on that plot of land where Bally's intended to build a 500-room hotel. And uh, Bally's uh, um, now has said that it can't build that tower in that particular place and is going to need to revise its plan. Uh, Bally's intends, we are hearing, to con- you know, do- is committed to making this thing happen. Um, uh, there have been questions raised about whether, in fact, uh, Bally's will proceed and ultimately get this project built, but the company, at least for now, is 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 seemingly steadfast in its insistence that it can, and will uh, will now sort of go to Plan B when it comes to where to locate the hotel room and whether in fact it still has 500 rooms or not. At least that's what some people are saying. Well, of course it would be on the one hand a hopefully massive boon for the city of Chicago, for the state of Illinois, and so on. Yet water is more important than gambling at last check. And so glad that we figured this out before too much got cooking concerning it. Fascinating topic, and we will, of course, continue to check in with you, sir, concerning it. But that's not all that we have as it regards Chicago. There are two suburban Chicago schools run by the Catholic Church, which they look to be perhaps on the verge of closing. And and they're saying that it has to do with the elimination of the Invest in Kids tax credit, which we spoke about last week. What can you tell us about what continues to evolve as it regards this piece of legislation and what could come next? Yeah, this is quite interesting. We're seeing two schools close so far that... Uh, Arch of Chicago has said that St. Francis of Rome School in Cicero and St. Odillo School in Berwyn, two pre-K to 8th grade private schools, will close in June at the end of the academic year. And they're blaming the discontinuation of the Invest in Kids program. I have to say nobody has had a chance to really look into their numbers, but if based on the revenue that has been raised from Invest in Kids over the years, over, over the couple of years that that program was in place after Governor Bruce Rauner introduced it, the several years, it's a little bit surprising and probably bears closer scrutiny as to whether, in fact, that program itself would have been responsible or whether those schools were in trouble anyhow. Their enrollment numbers are rather small, and over the years, the Archdiocese has needed to close schools on a periodic basis because 
they weren't making ends meet. But nevertheless, the argument is being made by the Catholic Church that the cancellation of that program, the last, uh, you know, December 31st was the last date at which investing kids was available. This program provided private school tuition from funds created when people with the means to do so took a tax break in order to contribute money into a fund that, that then schools could receive support that way. And there was a move to continue it past the end of last year, which never even got a hearing in the state legislature. There is still support for the program, especially from conservatives in the legislature, and it may yet be brought for a vote again this year. But for now, we have two schools that evidently will be closing at the end of the year, at the end of the school year. And we're being told that that's because that scholarship support is no longer available. It is, of course, dreadful that two uh, educational facilities are closing any place with good standing that helps the children learn their valuable resources, of course. As we noted last time in our discussion, however, of course, the Invest in Kids program provides tax credits for those give their money so that children can have scholarships. Of course, there is still the option of giving money without receiving the tax credit. One might even call it a donation, some altruistic good faith giving. But one digresses. <laughs> we we will continue to check on that story as it evolves. This isn't the last we've heard of it, but... Uh, and surely it's not the last you've heard your host say something pithy about it either. But as our final note, sir, this is another huge topic. Doesn't matter where you are in the state. It doesn't even matter for this story where you are in the country. Because on the strength of a lot of money, a windfall of money, $1.6 billion in cannabis sales in Illinois last year, State Attorney General Kwame Raul, alongside 11 other state attorney generals, are calling for the federal government to reclassify cannabis from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3. For those of our listeners who do not know what the scheduling process means, we can thank Richard Nixon for this. But essentially, Schedule 1 drugs often are found to not have much medical, if any, medical positivity to them. And often they are known for either physical or psychological dependence. Schedule 3 means that uh, there's little likelihood for either of those physical or psychological dependencies. What can you tell us about how this continues? We've heard about, of course, activists calling for this for many, many years. What can you tell us about the state of cannabis across the states of the United States? Well, we're seeing cannabis, recreational marijuana in particular, being adopted as legal in many states across the country. And those states that have been holdouts are under a lot of pressure to also decriminalize marijuana because of the tax revenue that's being lost. People in states that where it's not legal will drive across state lines and purchase it in states where it is legal. And the now several years of experience are showing that, in fact, as you just noted, recreational marijuana, you know, I think there are all kinds of research studies that show that, indeed, it is not addictive on the on the order of the kinds of drugs that fall under that Schedule One treatment. Nevertheless, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency still has its standards, and those have not changed. And so Attorney General Kwame Raul and the other 11 AGs from across the country in states where recreational marijuana is available are now saying this is an outdated way of classifying these drugs and let's change that 
and that, in fact, state-regulated cannabis sales are safer than the alternative in some states, which still rely on black market sales. And so in Illinois, this is a big deal, as as you pointed out, $1.6 billion in revenue in 2023. And that's a number that grows year by year. And it has led to 177 recreational cannabis dispensaries. We've got now an industry of growers that is becoming deeper, as well as transportation, et cetera. This is a mini industry that is growing up before our eyes, and AG Raul just wants to see this, probably give this a little bit of a jump start by decriminalizing this and perhaps seeing other states also move into this different treatment of cannabis and, and other marijuana-type products. Absolutely. And of course, we see $1.6 in cannabis sales last year, and that number is always going to jump off the page. Anytime they put a B after the number instead of an M, it's a lot. But... Let's just keep in mind, of course, as you already know, sir, the what I always term the, the, the inner functions, the micro functions. Uh, not only is there a record $1.6 billion in cannabis sales, but we're not allocating resources as heavily towards policing the black market, which is lesser as a result of the legality of the situation. Perhaps there are less individuals in jail for cannabis as well. That also costs money that the taxpayers pay. So there are many ways in which we record more money for our state. And this process has worked well for Illinois, as it seems, and good to see that a tranche of attorney generals, including our own, are looking to push the federal government towards what is, I think, easy to say is a humanitarian and uh, economic victory. Sir, David Greising, president and CEO of the Better Government Association, will you come back next week and talk to us more about all of these pressing issues and whatever else we can find? Absolutely, Trent, and I'll look forward to it. Ah, thank you so much, sir. We look forward to it as well. And before we say our final goodbyes after such a wonderful conversation, would you tell our audience where they can uh, they can read more, where they can learn more from the Better Government Association? Sure. The Better Government Association does investigations and solutions-focused journalism, which we publish at our IllinoisAnswers.org website. And we also focus on policy issues related to open and accountable government And that's done on our BetterGov.org website, BGA Policy. You heard it here first, folks. Every week we hang out with David Greising, but when we're not hanging out, having a chat, you can all still get more learning, more information. If you're yearning for the learning, those are some places where you can get more knowledge. Sir, we hope that you have a wonderful rest of your week, and we will catch you next week, all right? Thanks, Trent. We'll see you next week. Thank you, sir. Shining a light on Illinois state government, this is Full Disclosure with the Better Government Association. And this is, of course, your host, Trent Nelson. We just spoke with the president and CEO of that organization, David Greising. Always a fantastic chat. Always learn something. Always have a few laughs. And we hope that you've enjoyed our chat as much as we have. And we'll catch you next week.